Welcome to Politicus, the only podcast that discusses politics and public service from the Portuguese-American perspective. Here we discuss everything from federal policy, local issues, and U.S.-Portugal relations with the goal of driving more discussion and awareness of the issues affecting our nation, our community, and what we as Portuguese-Americans can do about it. And now, Politicus. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of Politicus, the podcast that focuses on politics from a Portuguese-American perspective by Falcus, the Portuguese-American Leadership Council of the United States. As you all know, this is normally co-hosted by myself, Denise Rogers, and my co-host, Angela Costa-Simons, Falcus a chairperson, who is available for this podcast. Uh, so we are missing Angela, but she should be here in the next few weeks or so. We are excited today because, once again, we have another Portuguese-American elected official, and this time from the great state of Massachusetts. State Representative Christopher Hendricks is serving in the House of Representatives of the state of Massachusetts, the 11th Bristol District, and um, welcome. Denise, thank you very much. I, uh, I appreciate you having me on and giving me the opportunity to be on your show. Thank you so much. It is our pleasure. We are honored to have you here. Um, I met Representative Christopher Hendricks in Lisbon now yeah. about a month and a half ago or so. Was that your first time to Portugal? Had you been there before? Well, not only was it my first time to Portugal, it was my first time to Europe ever. So um, it, it was just, it was a brief trip for sure, but, you know, a, a phenomenal trip. I mean, I got, we got to meet the president of Portugal, the president of the Azores. We get to sit down with Ambassador Glass, get to, you know, meet everybody, folks like you. It was, it was just a real good opportunity, a real great network of events, especially considering, you know, the climate of, you know, the geopolitics now. I think, you know, trips like that are really, really important. Definitely. And we'll be discussing that a little bit as, as we talk today. One quick question as we begin, if you don't mind introducing yourself to our audience. I mean, we know that you were uh, uh, raised in New Bedford and graduated from the famous New Bedford High School, uh, also from the University and the University of Massachusetts School of Law. But in a nutshell, can you tell us a little bit about who is Christopher Hendrickson? Sure. Uh, a little bit of a bio, if you don't mind. Yeah, so I uh, like I said, I grew up born and raised in New Bedford, Massachusetts. And for those of you, you know, for those of you listening, I'm sure you're you're aware that uh, you know has a very high Portuguese American community, which you know I'm certainly very proud to be a part of. So yeah, growing up in New Bedford, uh, went to New Bedford High, graduated 2001, went on to um, Temple University where I studied history in Philly, then went back to Massachusetts to go back to law school. Before I entered politics, I well, and I still do now. Um, I represented injured workers and workers' comp court, so in, in as well as social security disability law. So I had uh, most of my professional experience lied was in that area before I started thinking about politics a couple of years ago, and just decided to, um, you know, with the Trump administration and how you know I, I could sense that working class issues were certainly under attack, worker protections, workplace safety, stuff like that, and a lot of other issues that you know prompted me to to run for office. So I, you know, I, I ran for office uh, for the 11th Bristol District, which is, um, as you stated, a House representative district uh, in Massachusetts. So I was successful, thankfully. I worked hard at it, and, and I'm excited to get to work. And we, we've had a lot of uh, interesting issues crop up since then. So I'm excited to, um, you know, be part of this legislature, and um, I'm really fortunate that you know the voters elected me to, to represent them. One quick question also, uh, Representative Hendricks, your Portuguese connection. How does, what is the Portuguese connection? And, uh, so my, uh, besides, I am, of course, living, 
in a great area that has uh, the right. of Portuguese American. I mean, yeah, growing up in New Bedford, it's funny because, you know, being Portuguese and, and growing up in New Bedford, you, you just think everyone's Portuguese <laughs> in the world. You know, you don't realize that, you know, growing up, you know, everyone you knew was Portuguese. And then I went, you know, I went away to Temple University for undergrad. And, you know, I would say I'm Portuguese, you know, have Portuguese and a little bit Irish and English. And they would say Portuguese. Wow, I've never met a Portuguese person before. So it was, it was kind of interesting uh, growing up in New Bedford. So my father is Portuguese. His grandfather emigrated from America, or to America from the Azores, Flores, the island of Flores. So my family is from that island. And so, yeah, so it, around the turn of the century, around 1900, is when my family came over from the Azores and um, have been, you know, have roots in New Bedford ever since. Other than, of course, the what's going on and with some of the things that have happened nationally, what has prompted you to or prompted you to get into politics? Was it something just recently or was it something that you've thought about for a while? Yeah, I've always been interested, you know, ever since I was a kid, I've always been interested in history and, you know, government and politics um, and law. I've always wanted to go to law school ever since I was in high school. So, you know, doing that type of work, you know, understanding, you know, uh, societal issues, I think, better when when you becoming an attorney certainly, um, you know, pushed me a lot into politics a lot sooner than I thought. I always, I always had an interest in running for office in some capacity. I just, you know, once Trump was elected, I kind of, that, that kind of came sooner rather than later um, than I originally planned. Do you think that after the election of President Trump and uh, throughout, not just throughout Massachusetts, but your sense is that it has happened, especially at a national level, uh, a bunch of uh, younger people getting involved. Do you think that kind of, besides bringing you into it, brought a lot of other people throughout the nation? What's your reading on that? Oh, yeah. No, I think, uh, you know, Trump's election. And I, and I think that the, the, the trend of where our politics are going generally, aside from Trump, prompted a lot of younger people to, to, to run for office, as it did for me, and, and as it did for a lot of people on the national level. Um, like all the, the the congresswomen who are who who ran, but but I think yeah no it certainly mobilized a whole, whole progressive effort I think uh, the election of Trump and you know and what they're trying to do on a policy level you know regardless of how you feel about Trump what he's doing on a policy level is just unacceptable so I think you know I, I wanted to be part of the solution mm -hmm. during all that and, and and I'm really proud to say that we've done we've already done some stuff. Um, in the Massachusetts legislature to combat some of the stuff that's going on in Washington, like the Janus decision with the with the the, the public unions, we recently passed yeah, in the House. Explain that those that are not of Massachusetts. Right, right. So the Janus decision, which was a Supreme Court decision, that basically said right. that if you are a, a public union, like a teachers union or a police and fire, that you can't force someone to pay dues, um, which basically on a policy level, that will greatly reduce the power of, of, of public labor unions across the country. So, you know, which was the whole goal of the, of the Trump administration is to reduce the power of the organized labor. So what we did in Massachusetts is, is we that we, we, well, at least in the House, it, it, I believe it passed the Senate. It has not been signed by the governor as of yet. But um, in the House, we passed a bill that would allow public unions to charge those who do not want to pay dues, if they have an apps, you know, if they actually have something that needs to be done. So if they have to file a claim on their behalf, then they can charge that person. It's basically just an organized way of, of mitigating uh, the negative effects of the Janus decision, what we did here in Mass. So, so, you know, like right off the bat where, you know, I've been able to be part of, 
uh, legislation that that combats some of the stuff that's going on through the Trump administration and with the GOP in Washington. Right. So since you've been elected, you've been able to see uh, some movement, at least in, the, in your state legislature. Yeah. Yeah. No. I don't know. We 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 passed legislation to to up the funding for you know the Title X, like all, all women's reproductive health. Uh, so that that was, um, you know, I was proud to be part of that vote as well. Um, so, yeah. So, I mean, so long as Trump's in office and he keeps, um, you know, passing policy that contradicts um, the interests of working people and normal families, then, you know, then, then we'll have work to do. So so we're really proud of the work that we're doing thus far. Since you've been elected, you were um, put on some key committees. Tell us a little bit about the committees that you're part of in the state legislature right. in Massachusetts. Cool. So upon uh, entering the legislature, I have been assigned to the Judiciary Committee, which was actually I was ecstatic about because, you know, being a lawyer, I obviously had an interest in being a part of that uh, committee. So the Judiciary, the Housing Committee, and the Committee on Veterans Affairs, as well as National Affairs, and the Redistricting Committee, which we haven't uh, met at all yet, but we probably will be in the near future, considering that's the census is right around the corner for redistricting and all that. So um, I'm very fortunate with the, with the committees that I'm on, particularly the, the Judiciary Committee. There's a lot of legislation that we get to review and, and you know, put a say on. Um, so, so I'm really uh, happy about that. So, yeah, those are the committees that, that, that I'm a part of, and I, I look forward to, to working on those for a while. Redistricting is something that's uh, hot in, of course, uh, with the 2020 census coming up and, and with some of the so-called gerrymandering that goes on, especially at the national level. How, how important do you see that forthcoming in the next year or so in your legislature? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. I mean, if you look at just a little, a little bit of political history, you'll know that there are political forces that rely on gerrymandering to stay in power, which right. is unfortunate and in, in, in pretty much a loophole in, in our democratic process. Um, so, so the more accuracy we have in that in that effort, I think the better. Obviously, um, I think the, the the citizenship question will, you know, leaving that out will hopefully encourage a lot of people to provide information so we can get accurate data on where people are living, and so we can cut up the districts evenly and, 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 and equitably. And that's actually part of one of the issues that Alcus is dealing with. As you might have heard, we have a campaign called uh, Make Portuguese Count. In other words, to get Portuguese to basically talk about or register their ancestry on on the uh, in the census upcoming the census of 2020 so for those people who are listening to us throughout the united states when it comes to redistricting and how important is in your perspective for portuguese americans to basically identify themselves as such oh no it's huge because you know politics is demographics you know whether that's good or, or bad, it's just the, the the nature of the beast. So, so like I said, the more accurate you can be about your heritage, your background, um, anything that will help, you know, the census uh, for more accuracy. Because that because that's how you know we pick our legislatures eventually, and that's how we're going to assign resources to certain areas. So that's why you know the census is is, is so important. Coming from a very strong, as you mentioned, Portuguese-American uh, area, such as New Bedford and the surrounding towns, how do you feel, how, what's your sentiment on the involvement of Portuguese-Americans in the political life in general and in that area and throughout Massachusetts? Yeah, no, in this area, I, I think we've had, uh, we have a pretty good showing of Portuguese-American, I, I think, in representing uh, certainly the delegation. We have me, Tony Cabral, as you know, Laurie Trahan or Trahan, as we say down here in this way, uh, also a Portuguese 
American descent, the Congresswoman. Um, she's been excellent. So I, I you know, I, especially in the New Bedford and Fall River area, there's a huge, you know, Portuguese American community that's involved politically, uh, involved in community organizing. It's pretty much everywhere you go in New Bedford. You know, so I, I think just the, the numbers alone make it, um, you know, st- stack it up with, with Portuguese Americans, which is good. But but on a national level, you know, it's um, I, you know, I I certainly think we can we could do more in that in that regard for sure. One other uh, aspect of that is you just mentioned as we start our conversation the FLAD uh, legislative dialogues that happened uh, in the, at the end of uh, May of this of this year in Lisbon, and uh, as you said, it was your first time participating, and as you said, you enjoyed it and it was important. How how do you feel about these events, such as the legislative dialogue? something to where Portugal is no longer the country that it was, as it was stated many times, uh, the country that was 56 years, or certainly 100 years ago when your uh, family came over. But how how do you feel about these uh, uh, these exchanges, cultural exchanges, and how can they contribute to a better understanding, I would think, that is the main goal of Americans uh, towards European countries and towards Europe and, and this such an important alliance, the transatlantic alliance is now being questioned. How do you feel about that? How do you feel that these these uh, dialogues can contribute at the Portuguese level, but beyond that? Yeah, no, exchanges like that and, and, and having conversations and dialogue, you know, relative to those types of issues, I think in this particular time is of the utmost importance. Because you got to consider where we are across the globe. You know, we have it, it appears as though that you know geopolitics is getting more and more vulnerable. It's getting more and more at risk of um, ideology like fascism and national populism is cropping up all over the world. So I think having you know good dialogue with your allies right now is the most important thing. The unfortunate piece of that puzzle, Denise, as you know, is this administration that we have. It's a little difficult. Um, you know they're isolating all a, a, lot, a significant, if not all, of our allies. You know across the globe. Um, so I think like we had in Portugal and Lisbon, you know, uh, a month or so ago, those types of dialogues where we're, we're working through strengthening ties, whether economically or otherwise, um, I think is huge. And, and, you know, there's a lot of trepidation, I feel, across the, across the world relative to our sta- the, the United States' is standing now and their role in policing the world of safety and trying to promote democracy and things like that. Um, you know, so I, I think, you know, having these, these conversations is, is of the utmost importance. And, and when I met President Rebelo D'Souza, when we had that discussion, I was very optimistic about his outlook. Um, he seems to understand that, you know, the administration we have now is kind of, a, kind of an outlier and kind of a temporary situation. And I sense that he's optimistic about the future in a post-Trump world for sure. What was your impression, uh, knowing that you know so many Portuguese Americans, whether they came from the Azores or mainland Portugal or Madeira, ever since you know the uh, 1700s and all the way up to the 20th century? What was your sense of meeting with Portuguese officials in Portugal? How they felt about our communities? Did you uh, get any sense of that? Uh, our communities here in the uh, United States. Correct. How do they How do they look at us? Obviously, most of the or all of the legislators there were Portuguese American background. How do you feel that that they came through as their their take on what is uh, uh, the importance of the Portuguese American communities in the United States, not just for Portugal but beyond? Yeah, no, I, I think they understand that as well. Um, I think they they probably understand that piece 
better than most Americans do. What really struck out, you know, stuck out to me meeting, you know, certain legislators in Portugal is that they're very pragmatic. They're very focused, which I wish we could have here. This less identity, at least from what the perspective I could, you know, from where I was standing, you know, I I sense that it it was less identity politics and more problem solving uh, on the Portuguese Uh level, you know, (laughs) compared Uh to America, um, which I, I wish we had a little more of here. So, so I think you know, there's a lot of optimism in Portugal, from what I, from what I could tell, uh, in that regard. Do you think state legislatures such as yourself and others uh, can play an important role? Even though you know, obviously, foreign policy is up to the national government, but do you think that state legislatures and can also play a role in in maybe giving a um, a different perspective of what America is all about that is being given currently? Yeah, no, it, it's all about relationships. It couldn't be more important. I think even though we're state legislators, Danish, you know, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, uh, so our role in actual policy building is limited, you know, so, so you know, a lot of that work has to be done on, on the, the national level. But, but I think, you know, anytime you get the opportunity to reach out to, to an ally, you know, it, it's just relationship building. That's all it is, whether I'm in state government, whether I'm, whether I'm just a U.S. citizen, not in public service. You know, relationships is the most important thing in this world relative to politics, relative to problem solving. So I think any time you can get the opportunity to, to, you know, put your heads together and understand the issue. I never knew prior to going to that that dialogue, Denise, that there was an issue with China, that there was an issue with Azores, and there's some a little bit of frustration on that in that regard. Mm-hmm. And I would I would have known nothing about that had I not sat down uh, with everyone there. So. Like I said, despite not having the ability to, to actually put policy into place, I think you know the relationship building is perhaps the most fruitful thing we could be looking for. Correct. And I think one of the things that the dialogues also bring, and correct me if I'm wrong, that's my take on it, is it gives the, although some of you know each other quite well, those of you especially from Massachusetts and neighboring uh, Rhode Island, but it gives legislators who, legislators who are Portuguese-American background from different states, an opportunity to network. And that, to me, is uh, just very important, don't you think? Right, right. Oh, completely. Uh, like getting to meet Jim Costa. I mean, you know, in, yeah. in all the yeah. Jim Costa and Louis Trahan. And that, that was just, um, you know, it's it's difficult to get that 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 opportunity and that access. Um, you know, so so I was grateful, very grateful to, to, to meet all those folks and everyone, you know, who's trying to get the same things done that we are. You know, it's um, right. it's, it's very good. What? What's, uh, what are some of the key issues? Uh, I know that uh, it's budget time, as uh, we've talked about in private, but what are some of the key issues that you are facing right now in the uh, this legislature in, um, in Massachusetts and that you're kind of uh, really working on very hard? So one of the main issues that we're working on now is, is education reform. We've had a, I was just recently part of an, an effort to stop a charter school expansion plan in New Bedford. And I was, uh, you know, honored to be part of the stopping that expansion because it would have been disastrous on a policy level. But, but uh, on a bigger perspective, you know, here in Massachusetts, we're dealing with, you know, a, a really dire situation relative to education reform, funding, um, a lot of the education formulas relative to to charter schools. You know, me and I know Tony uh, has a bill that would completely transform that, um, and, and it would be a game changer relative to how much money public schools have to give charter schools, you know, a lot of that money would stay in the public districts, you know, under Tony's bill. So, so we're, you know, and we have a lot of, a lot of other bills uh, relative to 
actual funding for health care, for employee benefits, uh, you know, in education. So uh, it's a lot of work to do. But the, the good news is there's a lot of optimism about getting something done. You know, I don't know if you, you, you follow Massachusetts politics at all, but there's something called the Promise Bill and then it, this um, some other education bills. And I, I'm really optimistic we can get done because the only the problem is only getting worse. And, you know, we had a 1993 law that, that basically accommodated and allowed for charter school expansion. But back then in 1993, charter schools weren't as ubiquitous as they are now. Um, mm-hmm. So I think we sort of have to update the law relative to that ASAP. And I but think that's... Tony, and I'm really happy that, you know, uh, Representative Cabral, you know, is taking the lead on that because, you know, I've learned a hell of a lot from him. You know his experience with with education and, and and funding formulas and the law behind all that. Um, so I'm really optimistic we'll get something done. So getting yourself elected here a couple of years ago into the uh, Massachusetts State House, what are your plans for future uh, beyond Massachusetts? We hope. Well, as of right now, you know, we're just working on the you know uh, these the state issues uh, uh, right now, but but certainly. Um, you know, my goal is to help as many people as possible. So if that includes higher office at some point, you know, I wouldn't turn it down. But but right now we're just focused on, you know, we have so much to do. And, you know, a lot of urgent stuff that needs to be worked on. So, I mean, at the the near future, I hopefully we I want to work on some, some labor issues. I know regarding things like Uber and Lyft, I know being a workers' comp lawyer, I know that, that those folks who do those jobs get screwed quite a bit when it comes to injuries and accidents and stuff like that. They're not... Um, I know in, in California, they actually have a bill that would make uh, Uber drivers eligible for workers' comp benefits, I believe. Um, yeah, so hopefully down know. the road, we can get something like that going here in Mass. Um, so there's certainly a lot of labor issues with automation and how that's going to affect employment. You know, we might be looking at mass employment in the near uh, future over the next couple of years because of automation and, and things that uh, are basically going to decimate low-skilled jobs. So I, I'm, I'm hoping... Um, you know, this year, the end of this year, we can get working on something that um, will mitigate all those issues moving forward. How does uh, Massachusetts and you personally look at the issue, uh, this uh, very hot issue of immigration and, of course, what's happening at a national level? But how does Massachusetts or how is Massachusetts dealing with this? Yeah, no, this uh, they, they, we're dealing with a lot of, you know, obviously each state, you know, relative to this issue, you know, experiences different things. But we're, we're you know, we have you know, problems relative to that as well here. And um, as you know, like I said, uh, as a workers' comp attorney, I represented a lot of people from the migrant community and, and, and it's, there's no other community that, that needs help <laughs> than, right. than that community. You know, that no other community has been so stigmatized, especially uh, on a national level by, by our leaders uh, than, than them. So, you know, there's a lot of work to do. I, I don't think that, that you know, local Government should have the responsibility of enforcing any type of ICE maneuvers or, or um, you know, efforts. I think that's the, the responsibility of the federal government. You know, I think these, you know, local police departments and local budgets are, are being strangled enough. I don't, I don't think they should be spending time, you know, trying to kick people out, especially those who are, you know, have full-time jobs and who are working constantly. So, you know, I think we should have a little more compassion for these folks that than, than a lot of the people do now currently. Um, so I think you know, this this work to be done, um, and there's, there's certainly a lot of pieces of legislation here up at the state house that would you know, alleviate some of the, the problems they have. I know there's a driving license bill that would allow them to drive. I think California might do that now. Um, yeah, we have. A- 
Yeah, well, well, okay, I think New York or, or some some other states. But in any event, you know, there's a lot of work to do. There's a lot of work to do right. in, in that regard. Well, I uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us, as we always do as we come up on the end of the podcast, and especially from someone like yourself, which is a, a freshman a representative and young and up and coming in the uh, in Massachusetts politics and public services. I like to call it because politics has got such a dirty name, unfortunately. Right. right. For our younger people, and uh, podcasts uh, have a, lot, a bit of a younger audience, as you know. Uh, for some young Portuguese American who is in Massachusetts, Rhode Island, or California, or a state that doesn't have a great big Portuguese American representation anywhere from Nevada to South Carolina to uh, uh, Nebraska, and is kind of thinking about getting involved as uh, watched and listened and read of what's going on, what would be some uh, key points, a uh, bit of advice that you would give uh, to people? Because a lot of times when, when we think about uh, and let me just preface it by saying this: a lot of times when we think about getting involved, we look and making a difference. We look at, uh, at the U.S. Congress, we look at the U.S. Senate, we look at the presidency, etc. However, you know, um, the old saying, "All politics is local," and sometimes a lot of policy is being done at a local level, at a city council level here in California, at county level, what we call the supervisors, and also school districts. You know, the issue of charter schools. So. For anyone who is thinking about getting involved, whether it be at the local level, state level, or national level, what are some key points that you could give them? Well, basically, just understand one basic truth that, you know, if you have something either in your community or in the world at large that you want to change, this it's always, for the nine times out of ten, it's always changeable. And it just takes it takes effort and relationship building to do that. If it's something small, like you said, you know, there's always things to do on a small local level, school boards, uh, your, your public school district, getting involved any way. You, there's always someone to call to get involved. And, and you don't necessarily, you know, have to go out and volunteer and, and pick up garbage to change the world. You know, it, it, you, sometimes you could just uh, bring, a, bring an awareness to a certain issue um, and getting movement and calling your legislators and, and, and just knowing that, you know, we don't need, we, we need to stop taking democracy for granted in just know that your democracy is only as good as how much you participate in it. So I think taking that home with you, for those of you who are thinking about uh, making a difference in the community, certainly take that into account. Well, thank you so much. Indeed, indeed. Don't take democracy for granted. Those are the wise words. Thank you so much, uh, State Representative Christopher Hendricks, for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on, and hopefully we'll have another chance to converse with you at another time. Again, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Can't thank you enough for having me on. Thank you so much. And thank you all for listening. Please continue listening to Politicus, the podcast from the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. Thank you all. Please put a like and please make your comments on either SoundCloud, iTunes, or any other medium that we use to promote this uh, Portuguese American conversation on public service in the United States. Again, thank you. And we'll see you next time on Politicus. Thank you for listening to Politicus, the official podcast of PALCUS, the Portuguese American Leadership Council of the United States. PALCUS is the premier national organization representing the interests of the Portuguese American community at large. To learn more about PALCUS and how to become a member or to make a donation, visit www.palcus.org. To submit feedback or suggestions about the podcast, email us at palcus.org. At 
The views and opinions expressed by the hosts and guests of the show are not endorsed by Palkus. Politicus is made possible through the support of the Luso-American Development Foundation.